Welcome to the Lab Podcast, where we empower women to use the repertoire to heal and thrive. I'm Lynn Rain. I'm Regina Chow Trammell. And I'm Yvette Latende. We are Latina, Asian, and Black professional women. There is a need for professional women to share their perspectives while navigating our roles. We cover cultural ways of thinking that shape this discussion and share practical tips for managing stress, thinking through identity, navigating life stage change, and living in abundance. This is The Lab. Hi, everyone, and welcome to The Lab. This episode is about work-life balance. Um, just a little bit, usually this term, when we hear the term work-life balance, which has become a little controversial, ladies, some people say there is no such thing as work-life balance. Um, usually the term is talking about a person's professional and personal life and being able to give both areas of your life enough to thrive and flourish, or at least maintain. Um, one of the definitions I found is the extent to which a person can concurrently balance the emotional, behavioral, and time demands of both paid work, personal, and family responsibilities. And that's Hill et al. 2001. Uh, Another one by Fleetwood 2007 is work-life balance is about people having a measure of control hmm, over when and where and how they work. Hmm, Very relevant to post-2020, post-COVID. Um, And some of the factors that come up as related to um, variables and kind of the work-life balance, if we want to use that term, are job satisfaction, motivation, productivity, health, job security, safety, and well-being. Um, And then there's another um, article that talks about four components feeding into that. A safe work environment. Hmm, And we can think about safety as emotional, spiritual, physical, psychological, um, occupational health care, appropriate work time, and an appropriate salary, right? So just to contextualize this topic a little bit, um, I was reading a recent article um, by Jacqueline Rodriguez, and I thought it was very interesting. It's called Work Life for Women, Especially Women of Color, um, and how she talks about it's key to restarting the economy. Right. So this article talks about policies um, like flex work and how we work and family lead and paid sick time and how that really factors into this idea of work life balance and how, given the wage gaps, the high unemployment for women of color, uh, lack of promotion and tenure, I mentioned in another podcast, um, you have a, a an absorbent amount of women of color, especially black women being brought into organizations, especially higher education as contingent workers or contract workers. So they don't have that job security. Um, So if you think about discrimination, implicit bias, institutional racism um, to many black indigenous, LGBTQIA, Latina and Southeast Asian women, I wonder how that factors in into this pursuit of balance as it relates to job satisfaction, motivation, a safe work environment. Um, So what do you think about that idea, um, Regina? 
I think that's such an important discussion because as we know, Yvette, just like you said, in a post-2020 world, the world has fundamentally changed. And we have we have all, I think, noticed, right? So a lot of my research is in mindfulness and it's and mindfulness is about awareness. And I think we have more awareness of the impacts of work not being balanced in our life. You know, we've kind of lived prior to 2020 with a hustle mentality. I was just thinking about this question, what you're saying of it, about what my life was like before then, like in 2019. And I look back on my calendar and was just like, what, how? Like, I don't even know how I did all the stuff I did. Like, I can't even keep up with my dental appointments now. That was just one thing I sort of let go in a post-2020 world. My teeth are probably not in great shape as a result. But it's just a small, like, idea of, you know, something's got to give. So I, and about fair wages and about, workplaces. I just don't think workplaces have kept up. And so I was reading just this morning, and I don't know if you both, if you ladies have seen kind of this viral TikTok um, meme that's going around about quiet quitting. So Gen Z, right, is talking all about quiet quitting. And it's this idea about, I'm not going to have my labor and my work be the defining feature of my identity. My value is not based on how much I have to work in order to climb that ladder in whatever structural, um, you know, situation I'm in. Just like you talked about this last episode, um, in a previous episode, Yvette, about how structures don't support, right, these, these populations and how Black, especially faculty, and other women of color are contingent workers. How do you hustle your way out of that? So anyways, I've been thinking a lot about that. And again, this is, I'm still a work in progress. I think back on my 2019 schedule and my schedule now, I see a lot more um, balance come into my life because of that awareness, because of that quiet space where I could just evaluate. And I just think for me, it's really about how do I want to evaluate every year? What, what are the most important things? So I have a high school senior right now and um, I just am more and more aware Like this is my last year in the, in him in the nest. And so I want to make sure that my working life is not taking up all that space that I don't have any memories this year, except driving around and being busy. You know, I just think that's how it's come up for me. Um, yeah. What do you think, Lynn? How has it come up for you? You know, I've I've done a lot of reflection through the years on this concept of work-life balance. And I think looking back, and I'll share a story that again, I'll be very vulnerable in this in this podcast and share stories that I probably haven't said out loud to anybody else, but to kind of show you my journey and my progression and what work-life balance means to me. Again, I'm going to tie this back to my cultural background because I think your family of origin and your culture play a role in how you see these things. So my parents had very strong work ethics. Um, and I and I appreciate that from them. Um, but they were the kind of parents that I remember my mom going was got a really bad pneumonia once. And the doctor said, you need to stay home or, you know, I should hospitalize you, but just stay home. And she kept working because she was in a job that if she didn't go to work, she would have lost her job. 
So that's what I grew up seeing, right? Parents that would go to work, even when they had this, you know, hospital, you know, something that they should have gone to the hospital for. So to me, what that message had meant to me was work is always first. You put work first, right? And you don't take of your own needs. So it was a, in some ways, you know, I love my parents, but it was bad modeling, right? Because they set me up to think of work as a priority that you put first, even putting your health needs second, right? Because again, and this probably, you know, goes back to the last podcast that we talked about of that, you know, scarcity mindset. But anyways, so how it showed up in my life, I had to give that context a little bit. So you understand how I view work. So when I was um, in my job after finishing undergrad, I was about to start a master's program. And I went to my boss they're both going to laugh about this one. I went to my boss and I said, you know, I'm starting this mastery program. And, you know, they offer classes, you know, Monday, Wednesday evening, Saturday morning, Saturday afternoon. When would you like me to take those classes so that work can be prioritized? What days, like, you don't want me leaving here to go to school? I put work first. So again, that's where I started. And looking back, I'm glad I've come a far away from that. But this idea, right, that my personal life and the reason I'm giving that example is because the way that I thought about it in my early 20s is that my personal life had to revolve around work, not the other way around. And actually, I think I was pretty judgy of people that would make work fit, especially when I became a supervisor, when I had those employees that were like, I'm taking Wednesday off because I'm going to the spa. And I was thinking, can't you go on Saturday? <laughs> like in my head, can't you go on Saturday? Why Wednesday? <laughs> you know? And I guess I, I struggled with people that put, work around their personal lives. But you know what? I was the one that had it wrong. Because here's the thing. I think we are easily replaceable at work. They can replace us in a minute. So I think what's coming from pandemic, right? The great resignation, what's coming from this, you know, um, you know, quiet quitting, you know, that we're um, realizing is people setting boundaries with work and saying, I'm not going to give you a penny that I'm not paid for, but really what that equals is not that I need to be paid for every minute of the day, but that my life outside of work matters just as much. So I think where I saw issues of work-life balance coming up, I mean, again, having my priorities wrong, um, but I think it was always, and again, I think this part is cultural of always putting others before yourself. That was, that's very much a cultural thing for me. So, but, but it wasn't putting my family first necessarily, it was putting work first. Um, you know, missing special events of, in my children's lives that I was like, I can't, I'm working, I can't be there or missing out on a great vacation opportunity because no, this is a bad time for work or, you know, the most detrimental pieces was um, where it impacted my my health and well-being. Um, you know, so there's something you mentioned, Regina, that caught my attention. You said you look back on your 2019 calendar and you said, how was I doing all those things? And I'm going to offer a different question, not asking the how, but why would you want to carry that schedule? So not the how, but why would you want that? So I think that's where, you know, I think we need to shift priorities. Yvette, what do you think? Where in your life, where do you see these issues of work-life bounds popping up for you that you've seen? Wow, that was great. I love the stories, Lena Regina. Um, for me, I've got to re reframe the concept of work-life balance to really just talk about what are my priorities? What are my values? What are my priorities? Um, 
And for me, that included self-care as a discipline and self-preserving. Um, and so if we think about self-preserving, if I looked up a dictionary um, kind of definition, it talks about protecting oneself from harm or death, especially regarding at, regarded as a basic instinct. Right. And so I this comes up for me because when I first came to the, uh, the academy, that was a totally new world for me. I came from K through 12 where you work seven to three. Um, you didn't have to write. You didn't have to boast about yourself. You didn't have to go for promotion and tenure. You just got tenure after so many years. So coming into this world of higher education, I remember having a just moving to L.A. from Fresno, California, a place that economically was way more let more affordable, right? And with a, what, my son was three and a five-year-old. And then I had a teenager. And I remember working 120-hour weeks because no one shared information about how it's structured differently. No one said these are strategies for how to thrive and do whatever. So there were all these vague expectations that I didn't really know what they were. So I thought, well, let me just work, 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 and somehow I'll hit the target, right? I remember our my provost at that time, his name is Dr. Michael White. I remember him after a heart procedure coming to an event and telling us, God does not want you working 90 hours a week. That is not the way to go. You don't want to end up over here with me, right? But again, it was that scarcity mindset. It was that the vagueness, I don't know what to do. And I'm a black woman in higher ed and how the percentage of us in higher ed that are tenured and promoted are so slim. So it's not like I'm looking around at all of these models, but I have my mother as a model who was a college professor. And I'm thinking of these images of kind of work-life balance. I have images of massage therapists coming to the house to massage my mother. I have images of going to nail salons on a regular basis with my mother. I have images of my mother always making time to get her hair done. And she would say to herself, no, I want a nice car. I want the Volvo S, whatever it was. You know, I work hard. I have a business. I'm college educated. I deserve this thing. So those are the images that I had to pull back from. Like, and my mother and father, uh, my father was in private practice um, after retiring from the county mental health. I just remember them doing everything with their children. And because I had such fond memories of a great childhood, I thought there's got to be a way that I have to structure what I'm doing so that I don't miss out on this. I want to be at a park in green spaces with my kids on a Monday when I can. So, yes, I have to do these things, but I can organize these things in a way that I can prioritize what I value the most. And what I value the most, you know, although there's that economic pressure, because that's very real. Um, there's some way I can figure this out. And I just had mentors, models that helped me kind of figure that out uh, along the way. Yeah. Um, Lynn, how, has the, how can the, the abundance mindset help us to aspire to create the quality of life we, we desire in the face of capitalism and in the devaluing of education and education right now? How do you think that that, that abundance mindset could help us with this work-life balance. Thanks. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I um, 
you know, I, I got into really bad habits in 2020 at the start of the pandemic because I was home. There, I couldn't go anywhere. I couldn't do the things that I normally would do after work. Um, so I remember working like 13 hour days easily. And then I realized that wasn't healthy, right? And had those those impacts. So going back to like that ab- abundance mindset that we talked about before, that helped me set boundaries. Um, so going back to, you know, me working 13 hour days, one of the things that I did for myself is, nope, I don't need to be working till 10 o'clock at night to get clients. Um, so for example, now I end work at five every day. I'm done. I'm clocking out at five o'clock and it's okay. Whoever wants to see me can call me before that. Come see me before me. If you're not available after five, I'm not your girl, you know, go somewhere else. I can't. So setting those boundaries, I think, um, are important. And again, coming from that abundance mindset, right? Like even in academia, academia is, you know, insane, insanity, right? Like you're, there's always something to do. You could be working 24 hours a day and still not get all your work done. So I think even, uh, working in academic setting as well um, in higher education, I think it's setting those limits, saying no to things. I think that's a big one, saying no. You're going to get amazing opportunities and you have to say no. Or I think asking yourself, is this opportunity going to add to what my priorities are? How does this, how does this align with my life's priorities? So one of the things that I would say is, you know, I think it's important to put your needs first um, again, with that abundance mindset of, you know, I can work at five and still be, have a successful private practice where I can say no to this grant or this research opportunity because I have too much on my plate at this point. So, and, and again, right. If you're working from that scarcity mindset, right. You can think, well, I have to do this research project because I will never come on my lap. You know, it'll never fall on my desk again. But if you're working from that you know, abundance mindset, you say, this is, I can't take this on right now. I have too much on my plate. This is going to throw my work life balance off. But you know what? Something like this will come again in the future. And I may have the capacity, the bandwidth and the time to do this in the future. Because I think that's a trap, right? Especially I think as, you know, um, women, professional women in the workplace, you know, from our different, you know, ethnic backgrounds, right? We do feel like we need, right? Like, you know, for me, you know, being of Latina, you know, being Latina, you know, it's that concept of brown time, you're always late, right? So I feel like throughout my career, I've always had to fight against that. Well, I I can't be late because then I'll be confirming, right, these things about my culture that are not positive, and you have to kind of let go of those things, right? I don't have to prove myself to anyone. I will do the very best I can. And you know what? Sometimes I will be late and that's okay. And not being super harsh on myself. Um, so I think, again, it's 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 um, setting boundaries, learning to say no, do the things you want. If, if, if this COVID pandemic has taught us anything, or I should say not taught us, but reminding us is that life is short. Um you know, it's, it's, we, we have to take care of ourselves and we need to, you know, our lives can't just all be all work. Um, you know, we have to put in those priorities, you know, where do we want to travel? What parks do we want to see? What hikes do we want to go on? What beaches do we want to, you know, what do we want to do with our families, with our friends, with our partners? So I think it's, um, I think the abundance mindset can be very helpful and setting boundaries with work-life balance. Regina, I'm going to ask you um, in your work, what areas do you see that 
you know, where people suffer the most when there's an imbalance in their work life balance, you know, work life issues are balanced. Yeah, I know. I love these stories and I just want to, I'll answer, but I'll circle back, which is it's going to show up in your health, right? Just like Yvette talked about you, that was so powerful that you were working 120 hours a week because no one told you that's not okay for you. You know, no one cared enough until this provost showed up after a heart problem. (laughs) I mean, talk about, you know, thinking about, I love that reframe of the question, Lynn, of not how did I do it? But why am I doing this? Why am I doing this to myself? Why am I punishing myself that way? And I think for me, I just think that health is, is, is holistic. That is going to be mental health. Um, that's going to be physical health and mental health is emotional health as well. What is your emotional capacity and spiritual health? How is this sucking your soul dry? You know, and I think being aware and, you know, in mindfulness, we talk a lot about awareness of all these aspects of ourselves. And so when we are out of balance, when there is no balance and when work is superseding our time, our energy, our capacity, we are punishing ourselves. What I heard from both of you actually that I want to say is just, there's a power struggle. I heard this power struggle of okay, I, there's a purpose and value I have in my life. And then there's all these impinging structural issues, brown time, Lynn, I've never heard of that brown time that you you're fighting stereotypes to not be perceived as whatever stereotype that is of you being late for me as an Asian, I'm fighting stereotypes that I'm never going to complain, right? I'm just going to quietly take on more and more and more and just be quiet about it. You know, I just think we all suffer or right. Like for black women, I'm not trying to stereotype, but these are the stereotypes I've heard, right? Like the angry black women about impinging and responsibilities, normal responsibilities and being able to complain about it is perceived as, you know, overcompensated in anger. It's just ways of how there's a power imbalance and that we're again, constantly fighting that. So I think it's going to show up on our health that we're not aware of. And I think if there's a best message I could give to our listeners is, is to check in with your body. Cause sometimes I think for us as professional women, we've turned that off. We've been taught to turn that off that we have not kind of gone on, you know, reached back and looked at how our, you know, kind of ancestral medicine has informed us. And a lot of that, uh, let me just tell you a quick, quick story. So growing up, my mom and my grandma would always be like, don't microwave in those plastic tubs. You can't char your meat. And honestly, this is like many years ago, many moons ago. And and everyone in the family be like, no, it's not going to cause cancer. Like everything caused cancer in my family. Plastic, don't microwave plastic. Don't char your food. Don't eat the charred food. Look, ladies, they did not know the research. Now the research has panned out and they're saying, yes, if you overchar your meat and you eat, there is now Google it. There's research saying that if you microwave plastic, there's something in there was, they knew their bodies that they could tell in their bodies that this was not good for them. So it's the same principle, right? We have 
a power structure that we're fighting against for work-life balance. And we have to listen to our bodies to inform us because, you know, we're, we're trained to kind of go, go, go. And um, anyway, so for me, I, I just, I think about, I think about not microwaving my, what, you know, as a, as a metaphor, what am I microwaving my plastic in that's going to harm me over time? And how do I listen into that? Well, you've been listening to the lab podcast, Latina, Asian, and black women. Thank you for joining us.